Good morning. Um, my name is Matt Wadarzik. I'm part of the preaching task force here. Uh, Pastor Scott is out camping this week and next. Um, hope he's having fun. I joked with him before he left that we would pray for rain, and he said, don't do that. Um, but you're probably wondering, you know, who is this guy? Why am I up here? Um, Cindy and I came into this church about two years ago through the Heart Change program. And, uh, oh, by the way, there is a Heart Change this coming week. I recommend <laughs> that, that you go. It's a great program. It's a great four days. Uh, but just to give you a little background, Cindy and I have been married uh, 42 years. We met in chemistry in high school, and chemistry worked. Um, <laughs> We have two children. Um, our son, Sean, he's 36. He's in uh, Nashville, Tennessee with his wife, Heather. Our daughter, Rachel, is 33. She's in Raleigh, North Carolina with her husband, Nate, with our two world-class grandchildren, uh, Hadley and Asher. And people wonder, why did your kids move to the East Coast? <laughs> what kind of parents were you? Uh, I tell them, well, when our kids were growing up, we told them two things. One, we would never guilt them into coming to Thanksgiving holidays and then go where God sends you. And they took my advice. <laughs> but uh, I've often talked about how to get them back, and some friends have said you can start the guilt. Guilt works at any time, any season. So um, they're good kids. But Now, my religious upbringing... Up- What's that term? Upbringing. Was Catholic. I went through Catholic school, did all the sacraments, was an altar boy, but not because I was a devout little Catholic boy. There were two specific reasons. One is um, if you got to serve at a wedding or a funeral, you usually got paid. And back in the early 60s, five, a $5 bill went a long way. So all of us altar boys would scramble to try to get those assignments. Plus, uh, the church I was going to was in L.A., and uh, there was Disneyland. And every year, the priest, the Monsignor, would come out, and he'd say, okay, if you served 25 masses or something like that, you would get to go to Disneyland. So all of us altar boys, and this, we never talked about it, with, with each other is we would do 25 plus 1. Then the church could not find any altar boys for a while to serve any masses. But then when it came the day for Disneyland, we all showed up. And they, they, I don't think they ever figured out what was going on. But today I'm going to be going through the book of Jonah, speaking about God's kindness. But I'm not going to do it sequentially. So you're going to have to keep up with me because I'm going to be bouncing around because God shows kindness to a bunch of different people in this passage. Um, now, in preparing for this kind of discussion, we need, two, we need to accomplish two things. One is, what's the big idea of the passage? What is it? So here's the big idea. And it's just, this sounds sort of right, says God's kindness is meant for everyone, even for those people we don't think deserve it. You ever thought about that? Some people think that 
there are those people that don't deserve God's kindness. Hmm. The second thing you have to deal with is making it culturally relevant. How do you do that? See, today I have to try to reach two different kinds of folks in here. There are folks here that can sit and, and listen to me for 30 to 40 minutes, which is good, I think. Let me know at the end. Um, and there's this other group that only likes their messages in 140 characters. Okay, I think most of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a Twitter, otherwise known as Tweet. Uh, by the way, you know, we're getting a lot of policy discussions over Twitter over the last few months from a high-ranking official in our government, but I'm not going to go political here on you. So I've got something here I'm going to do in a little bit, but let me give you a little background on the Jonah story. Okay, if you remember Jonah, he was a prophet for Israel. God came to him one day and says, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites. Jonah doesn't like that idea. He takes off running, tries to get on a boat to go someplace else, ends up getting thrown overboard, gets swallowed by a big fish. He's in the fish's belly for three days, gets barfed up on land. God comes to him and says, uh, are you going to go now? And he says, yeah. He goes to Nineveh preaches reluctantly, and 120,000 people get saved, and he gets mad, which sounds funny for a prophet, because you figure that's what prophets want to do. So um, what I've done today is I've created a tweet that we're all going to do together. So let's see the tweet. I think you can see that. Okay. Now, this is 100 and 40 characters, the Jonah story in 140 characters, okay? Now, because we all want to be culturally relevant, okay, we also want to put a little emphasis on this, where we say things. See where it says, fish say lunch yo, and fish yell land ho? I need you to do your best pirate imitation, okay, like land ho, okay, when we're going through it. And where you see the faux show, you need to do your best Southern Paula Deen kind of accent, okay? Uh, we are taping this, so we're going to put it on the website. So we want to do this right. So do we need to practice the faux show? Okay, all together now. Faux show. Very good. Okay. So let's just start doing this, okay? It says, uh, G say go, J say no. On the boat, J go. Wind blow in the water, Jay go. Fish say lunch yo. Fish yell land ho. G say go. Jay say fo show. Jay talk slow. Ninevites say oh whoa. G say judge no. Jay say oh no. G say fo show. Hashtag big fish stink. Thank you very much. I forgot about the hashtag. Give yourself a hand. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to do that. Okay, now through this story, we're going to find out that God's kindness pertains to us, pertains to some of those people, pertains to Jonah, and then, oh, by the way, we're going to talk about showing our kindness 
to others. Hmm. So, let's take a look at how God shows his kindness towards us. Now, at some point in time, God came and showed kindness to you through somebody else. Could have been the guy at the office you thought was a religious nut. It could have been somebody standing on a corner. It could have been a relative. It could have been somebody. It could have been somebody on the radio. But look at this passage. This is Romans 2.4. It says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Do you ever think about that? God was kind enough to show you the way to repentance for salvation. We have a tendency to forget about it. And, and on top of that, um, there was somebody that came along that shared the gospel with you, that led you there. And if you've never said thank you to that person, you need to go say thank you. But you see, God was giving you, notice his patience. For some of us, it takes a long time for the gospel to sink in. For others, it's like it's immediate. And others of us need a little more assistance. And what I've found over the years is when it comes to people coming to Christ, there's sort of two ways they come. And the first one is, you could have heard the gospel message, and you thought, that's nice. Or you said, all paths lead to God. Or you say, God's not a mean guy. He'll save me anyway. Or I'm better than other people. Or he's going to do the scale thing at the end and all that kind of stuff. But you keep hearing this message coming from different directions at different times from different people. I remember in high school, at that time they were called Jesus freaks. There were these guys in the locker room with the biggest King James I'd ever seen trying to preach at me. And I'm going, go away. You know. Remember, I was Catholic church. At that time, we were it. Nobody else had it. And they're telling me this, and I'm going, what are you guys talking about? But for some people, they need a little help. They'll hear this message, and they don't get it. And all of a sudden, some tragedy occurs in their life, something very scary, could be anything, and they realize, oh, wait a minute. And it clears their mind. It's like... You know, you've watched all these movies where the, the head person is under stress and they're supposed to decide something and they're freaking out and they're getting all paralyzed and somebody comes up and slaps them in the face and say, do your job. And it wakes them up. And they go, yeah. Well, that's what happens to people who come to Christ sometimes. This tragedy occurs and it wakes them up. It's like a slap in the face. And you go, and they go, wait a minute. I have two options. I follow God or I don't follow God. What do I want to do? The other is a little more subtle. Is a person will be going on in life, just got the new iPhone 7, they got a bazillion likes on Facebook, have a 64-inch flat-screen TV, cable with 400 channels, HBO, all the other stuff. Things are fine, they're great, they don't need God. Then one day, they're driving down the road. For some reason, they're listening to the Christian radio station, don't know how it got there, and they hear the gospel message. And boom, 
they get it right away. Sort of a subtle approach. Don't ask me why it works this way. I know God sort of has to figure out, well, he doesn't have to figure out, but he knows the best method to get to us. But we're going to see these two styles in this story today where God slaps some people in the face and others he just sort of comes along and says, oh, here's the message, and they all believe. Don't ask me why it's that way. I don't know. But that's what he does. Um, But I want to take a look for starters. See, we've talked about God's kindness towards us. Let's take a look at God's kindness towards those people. But we've got to have a definition of those people. Who are those people? Well, here's my cheap definition. It's anyone or any group that we place a label on whereby the label causes us to not associate with them or think less of them. Now, I know we all have those people in our lives. And I'm pretty sure you're probably thinking of some of them right now, which is okay. But, but first, I want to show you what Hollywood gives us for those people. And please, I need you to tell me who these people are. Let's see the first one. Who's this guy? Cousin Eddie. Thank you. For, this is good. I love this. Okay. Cousin Eddie, Chevy Chase's Christmas Vacation. Classic movie. He is the family mooch. There's a lot of families. You know who this family mooch is. Okay? Let's go to the next one. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> there are people that stay up late. Okay. This is Saturday Night Live. This is Drunk Uncle. Drunk Uncle says anything he wants to whenever he wants to. He has no filter. He's the guy that when you're around, you don't want him to talk about you. Because he tells the truth. You're happy when he talks about other people, but not about you. But he's that guy. You know, he's the guy that, you know, you don't want to bring to family gatherings because he's embarrassing. See the next guy. (laughs) Who's this guy? Scott Farkas. Okay. (laughs) Christmas story. Okay, what color were his eyes? Oh, this is great. Okay, everybody's had a town bully, right? Everybody knows the bully. Most of us have experienced the bully, right? So you see, this is what Hollywood gives us. I want to take it a little lower now, a little deeper. And I didn't do a, an independent poll. I, didn't, I just made these up on my own because they sounded good. But there are five groups of those kind of people, Okay? You could add to this list if you want to. Come up, give me some more afterwards, or you could disagree, whatever. But we have this group of social, which is like, for example, homeless, unemployed, LGBTQ, environmentalist, Occupy Wall Street, those kind of people. Let's go to the next one. Then you have racial. Black lives matter, white lives matter, cops' lives matter. See, it's those people. Let's go to the next one. Political, <laughs> I love this one. You got Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Trump, Hillary, Bernie. And did you know they're now doing studies where they're realizing that families will not eat together because of how they voted in the last election? So even within families, there are those people. Okay, the next one is religion. Presbyterians, Hindus, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslim. 
<laughs> I like this, conservative Baptist, Southern Baptist, General Baptist, Missionary Alliance Baptist, and my favorite is regular Baptist, <laughs> okay? Which means that somewhere there's an irregular Baptist, right? <laughs> you know, I, okay. <laughs> ah, this last one, personal. I got to be careful here. This is very hard place to be. Some of you in here have experienced some evil from someone that is so great that it changed your life. You're still feeling the pain. It is still there. And the thought of God being kind to that person feels disloyal and wrong. And all you want for that person is either is long, ongoing justice. And that's a tough place to be. But for those folks in here, your feelings are okay. They are the natural reaction to what happened to you. And I want to apologize for the Christians that have come up and said, get over it, move on, time to heal. Because the healing process is between you and God. We don't know the damage. We don't know the pain. And for these folks get stuck between the idealism of Christianity and the reality of the pain. And in, when you intersect those two, there's a lot of guilt. And they don't quite know what to do with it. So us as a church, when we hear these stories of the pain from people, we just have to accept it and love them. We can't try to tell them to change. See, because there are those kind of people. And Jonah, with the Ninevites, had this issue. That's why he would get so angry with God about wanting to reach out to these people. But let's look at the people, those people in the story. And there's two of them. First one is the sailors. Now, the sailors were just sailors. But in, Israelite, in the Israelite economy, um, there were Israelites and Gentiles. That's it. And Israelites didn't deal with the Gentiles, maybe on a business basis, maybe when they needed something. After that, those two just didn't think. They didn't get along. Israelites thought everybody else was a dog. So here we have these sailors. Jonah gets on their ship. Sailors thinking, good. Be able to get home, make a little extra money, got this guy on the ship. Here we go. Notice what it says. Jonah's on the boat. Then the Lord set a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Religious guys. I like this. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. They, these sailors were concerned for everybody on board. They wake him up. And I'm not reading that part of the passage. They wake him up and he says, oh, by the way, I'm your problem, throw me overboard. Just get me out of here. And he's probably thinking, okay, I go overboard, I still don't have to go to Nineveh. I get to go swim for a while. But look what happens with the sailors. It says, instead, 
The men did their best to row back to land, but could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And look what they did. The men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Remember the slap in the face? These guys were scared to death that they were going to die. But then they saw God do something. So at this point, they started to follow the God of the Israelites. But they had to experience this scary thing to get the point. And of course, as you know, Jonah got swallowed by a fish, big fish. So let's move on to the Ninevites. Okay, Ninevites were just mean, evil, nasty people. They harassed, tortured, killed, deported the Israelites for years. They just did. But he sends Jonah to go talk to them. And remember, after Jonah got out of the fish's belly and he got on land... And God said, I need you to go. What did Jonah say? Oh, show. Thank you. You remember it. <laughs> so, Jonah walks through, goes into town. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city of Israel, required three days. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believe God. Hmm. They declared a fast, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Isn't that interesting? Ninevites hate the Jews. A Jew comes in and says, ah, 40 days, you're dead. And they believe God. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Here's that subtle method. I, I, you, know, you can look through this book. It's only four chapters long. I see no evidence of pre-evangelism or anything within that city. Jonah comes in and says, ah, 40 days. And they all believe from top to bottom the king all the way down. So you're going, okay, that doesn't make any sense, but in God's economy it does. He does what he does, and people get saved when they get saved. As a side note, for those people in your life that you think will never get saved, there's hope. There's hope. So we've now seen God's kindness toward the sailors, towards us, Toward the Ninevites, let's take a look at what he's done for Jonah. So, remember, I'll just read this first. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. 
But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Hmm. Okay. So Jonah decided to head to Tarshish. The way to get to Tarshish was you have to go to Joppa to get on a boat. Joppa was 40 miles away from where Jonah was. It's about a two-day walk. So what happened to Jonah during those two days while he was walking? Nothing. Scripture says nothing. But there's a picture here. If any of you are deciding to actively rebel against God, you can't, trust me, nothing will happen to you right away. You will think you're getting away with it. <laughs> Just like he thought. He thought, this is cool. I'm going to get out of here. Nothing's happening. Until he gets on the boat. So he ends up getting thrown overboard, and a fish comes up and swallows him. So God saved Jonah's life in the most strangest way imaginable. You know, I don't know what he did down inside the belly of the fish for three days. Scripture shows that he wrote a prayer. Well, I guess you would write a prayer if you're inside the inside a fish, you know. But after three days, that fish threw him back up on land. So, God saved Jonah's life. Now, story picks up again. And remember, the Ninevites all believed. They all believed. And this is Jonah's reaction. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than live. Isn't that great whining? I mean, that is great whining. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? See, God is being God. God is being true to himself. Remember, Jonah was hurt by these people. And I get it. I see it. It looks like they had a discussion before where he said, God, you're going to be nice to him. I'm out of here. So, it goes on from there. So here he is. He's whining and crying. And look what he does next. He, he turns around and Jonah never answers the question, why are you angry? He goes and sits outside the city. He says, Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He was hoping God would change his mind, but he didn't. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. See what God's doing? Jonah is angry at God. He called God out for being God. And what does God do? He gives him shade. And you go, wait a minute. You're getting angry at God and he's being nice? What? That doesn't make sense. I thought God was a vengeful God, evil God, whatever God. But no, 
God is taking care of him still, even while he's in this angry state. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which trued the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. It said, it would be better for me to die than live. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Almost lost track there. Um, but God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? There's that question again. Why are you so angry? Jonah says, I do. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. Over, and it sprang up overnight, died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So God showed him. He says, hey, these people don't know what they're doing. Shouldn't I be concerned about them? And you're concerned about a vine? Really? But the story ends here. There's no resolution. There's none at all. There's no bow on the end of it. There's no God and Jonah working it out. Nothing. And you're going, that doesn't make any sense. Well, sometimes in God's economy, that happens. So, I want to talk to us about our kindness towards those people. And I'm going to tell you two stories. One's about me. One's about my mom. And these two stories, the first one's going to tell you what not to do. The second one's going to tell you what to do. But um, let me give you a little background on me. Okay. My parents moved us from Erie, Pennsylvania to Inglewood, California in the early 60s. And if I use the term Inglewatts, I think some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? They moved us into a lower middle class black area of Inglewood. I was the white boy in a black area. And I was a target. And I was also a white boy in a black high school called Morningside High School that was a white kid trying to act like a black kid in a black school. Now you can see how that does not work. And the stereotypes of white men can't dance and white men can't jump, that's me. (laughs) So that's where, until 15 years old, that's where I lived. And it was not safe. And for those of you who have lived there, we had lunch with Kevin and Marty a couple weeks ago. They were in a similar area. It is fascinating, that bond that we have, okay? Because there's a lot of fear, a lot of the unknown, and a lot of just being harassed because of the color of your skin. I was that. Well, some of my parents, halfway through my 
sophomore year, move us to West Torrance, which is close to the beach, upper middle class white. So I go to an all-white school almost, but I'm a white kid acting like a black kid in an all-white school. Didn't fly. Didn't work. Because they knew I came from Morningside High School, so they used to call me this smart aleck from Morningside High School. But the word that started with A is a word you don't use in church. Okay? So I then became... Again, one of those people. So I was one of those people where I came from. I was one of those people here. Well, then, end of my sophomore year, my parents move us up here to Vancouver, Washington. I end up going to the original Evergreen High School. You, any of you can remember that. And uh, first day of football practice, I go out. And, you know, you do your thing. And end of the practice, coach comes up and he says, I hear you're from California. I go, yeah, yeah. He says, well, don't tell anybody. I go, why? And he says, well, we had a kid that moved up here last year from California. And all he did was brag about how good California was. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, okay, I'll be quiet. But they still found out I was from California. So here I am (laughs) in this, I'm this white kid in this rural school people wearing FFA jackets, which I think you know what those are. Still a white kid acting like a black kid in this 800-member school. So, again, I sort of got isolated again. That that guy from California. Senior year, everything changed. First week on campus, I'm walking along, and I see this beautiful girl with another guy. And I said, she doesn't belong with him. She belongs with me. Okay. Somehow we ended up in chemistry together. Oh, you see where this is going. God uses beautiful girls to get us guys to come towards Him. He does. So, beautiful girl was a Christian going to a Baptist church. I'm a Catholic. Back then, those people don't date. So, we started dating. <laughs> the beautiful girl started getting pressure from her family, from her church, to break off the relationship. But the beautiful girl knew that I was searching. She knew what I needed. She shared the gospel with me multiple times. Multiple. Now, I know some of you parents are thinking beautiful girl's parents were trying to protect her, which I get. I understand it. I could have been a bad influence. I get it. But you need to hear the rest of the story. And I got to tell you, I protected my daughter too. But here's what happened. Is that that whole time we were dating and she was getting pressure for me to go away. And I knew they wanted me to go away. Just a side note. She had already decided that if I had not become a Christian, that she was going to break off the relationship. Now, that's maturity for a 16-year-old. Okay? She had already made that up in her mind. But the whole time, no youth pastor, 
no adult, anybody else around her, never sat me down, never tried to figure me out, never tried to share the gospel. They just wanted me to go away. Now, I could take a side road here and say that if it wasn't for the beautiful girl and God, I wouldn't be here today. So what not to do is write people off. Don't write them off. So, what to do? I just heard this story a couple months ago. My mom just moved up here from the Bay Area. And that is a whole story all by itself. But we were having dinner with her one night. And uh, we were over at the Lowry's. And she told me this story that I had never heard before. Now, my mom was born in Erie, Pennsylvania. Okay, she's 87. So what I'm going to tell you happened about 80 years ago. And you can imagine the racial climate back then. Okay, she's in kindergarten. And there's this little black kid named Teddy that she could tell the other kids weren't treating nice. So what did she do? Now, I don't know how she figured this out. One day, she took Teddy's hand at the end of school and said, come on, we're walking home together. And Teddy, realizing the implications of this, was a little scared because you don't have a little white girl and a little black guy holding hands. But she did. For the rest of the school year, to and from school, they held hands. And over time, the kids started to accept Teddy. Now, don't ask me how she figured that out. I have no clue. But you see the picture? What, do we, what we need to do is walk with people. That's all we need to do. And while we're walking, share the gospel with them. So our kindness is really not words. It is, if we get to share the gospel. It's just being with people. Figuring out who they are. Where's their head when it comes to spiritual matters? Where do they come from? Why do they think the way they do? Why are you a white kid acting like a black kid? in a rural area which likes country western music and all you like is Sly and the Family Stone. So, <laughs> I like rap too, but that's a different subject. I did tell Scott I was going to have some rap and some dancers up here and he told me not to do that. But <laughs> so you see, so God was kind to us. He was kind those people. He was kind to Jonah. So now we need to be kind. That's the example. So, I'm going to end there. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even in a book about a big fish, there's a story. Lord, I pray that... uh, You'll help us to figure this out, how to be kind, and how to just love. In Jesus' name, amen.